All right, what's my ministry? Well, um, we're going to go through, it's, we're continuing on our topical four series, so I've got these two weeks, and it's going to be kind of, what's my ministry A, or number one, and what's my ministry B, or number two? So this is just part one. It's funny, as I was preparing for this, I just, it's been a while, I used to be part of denominations and groups that took gift assessment tests. Um, I'm sure some of you have done that. Um, ours, perhaps, because I was in a, a more charismatic denomination. Um, ours included, you know, are you an apostle and, and things like that. But others, even if you go to Lifeway right now, you can take a gift assessment test to help you with some stuff. If you go to the United Methodist um, District or Church of uh, Kentucky, I saw one where you can take a, a gift assessment test to help you be placed in what you need to do within the Kentucky General Conference of the United Methodist Church. Those things are not necessarily in and of themselves bad. Our motives are great for doing that. But so many times, I mean, like one of the, one of the sites I went on, with certainty said that there are 19 spiritual gifts lifted in the New Testament. 19 spiritual gifts and ministries lift, listed in the New Testament. And um, that's not right. And we'll get into more about that next week. But the, the dilemma that we face is we have assessments and ministry assessment tests. And then we have folks telling us, what's your passion? And whatever your passion is, do that. And again, nothing's wrong with that. Um, sometimes folks will, will treat this as, as if you can't do anything unless you've been through some intensive special forces-like training. Have you got that? It's like, well, you know, uh, it, whether it's on, pick a category. Whatever your passion is, whatever your gift is, whatever ministry you're preparing for, what you need is the following. And of course, if you haven't had that, have a seat. And you can almost feel like there's this, the passionate people and, and me. And the people that have the entire New Testament memorized and in King James. <laughs> and me, who still has trouble finding Habakkuk. And that's in the Old Testament, by the way. I've been places where folks have gotten ministry assignments through prophetic presperties, which is an interesting two sets of words to put together. Um, what I found is, though well-intended, tremendously motivated, and at times good, for most people I know, uh, most folks I know, they've led to deferred dreams. When I get to this place, when our children grow, when my income looks like, when I retire, when I start to pray more, when I know my Bible better, when I pick your category, you have this dream, and because you don't measure up, it's deferred. Or you just have, you just grow with this, this guilt sense of unfulfilled hopes. I just wanted to do that, and now look at me. And, you know, I'm, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm male, I'm female, I have had this education, I don't have this education. There, pick a category. Well, here's what we want to do today. Again, I'm not slamming any of that. Um, the proverbial don't hear something I'm not saying. But for us at Palm Vista, we want to begin the conversation uh, by saying we want to discover your ministry. And I'm saying that on purpose. We want to discover your ministry by encouraging you to faithfully get back to basics.
Because many times, the, 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 re, the way you can answer the question, what's my ministry, is by doing the things that every Christian is called to do. And in doing them, you may discover that's more than enough. You, you, at the end of this message, you may, you may feel like, uncle, uncle, it's more than enough. Or you may find that, ah, there is something that... And we don't want to elevate gifts. That's the, that's the problem Corinthians made. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians a lot. I, on, on Informed, I said 12 through 14 to kind of get you ready, but, but we're, we're not even going to hit 12 through 14. Um, I want to get you reading that because the Corinthians were making this mistake with what's gifts and what's ministries and, and what are spiritual manifestations and how does that work in the local church. And Paul's encouraging them to get back to basics while still encouraging them to explore other things. So let's take it in that order, and today's the first part. I don't have a clue what your ministry is, but I do know what the basics are. You ready? Here they are. It's not that hard. It's not going to appear on the screen. It's real simple. What are the basics for what's my ministry? Ministering to God. Ministering to others. Being ministered to by God and being ministered to by God through others. That's what ministry is like. That's what we want to do and we want to have done every single time we gather together in a public setting, like today or in community group. Now, there are so many things we're not going to be able to talk about. What do you do on the job? What do you do here? How about your kid? This is what do we do when the church gathers publicly together on a day like Sunday or in your community group. That's where we're focusing and narrowing this. So there's a lot of things we can't cover, but that's where we want to push down and look. What do we do? But before we look at God's word, let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, you told us in John 15 that if we abide in you, and your words abide in us, We can even ask this question, whatever we wish, what's our ministry? And it'll be done for us. Because we want to ask according to your plan. And we know when we ask what's pleasing to you according to your way, of course you'll grant it. You said it'll be done for us. And Lord, you said that by this, your Father, our Heavenly Father, is glorified. And that's what we want. We want to live for the glory of God. Lord, it's incredible that that glory is that we will bear much fruit. And Lord, that fruit will prove that we really are your disciples. Not in order to be your disciples, it's a cause and effect. Because we're your disciples, we'll bear much fruit. And Lord, you assured us that as the Father loves you, you love us. And Lord, you tell us to abide in your love. So, Lord, these things so many times are felt as just imperatives that beat us down. Oh, they're imperatives. They're commands. But it's because you love us and you love others. So, we want to abide in your love. And you said, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. But, Lord, these things are not to mush us down. You said these things that you've spoken to us or that that your joy can be in us and that our joy may be. Be full. Lord, we want to love one another just like you loved us. And Lord, we know what it's like. The greater love has no one than this. 
that someone lay down his life for his friends. You've done that for us, and we want to do that for others. Help us, Lord. Oh, that's my ministry in a nutshell. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to use three familiar scriptures and make them our points. So, David, if you would throw that. You've got it up. Good man. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's point one. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not to be served, but to serve. All these are answering the question, what's my ministry? And last but not least, do all to the glory of God. So, what's my ministry? That's just going to stay up there. We have no more slides, but let me warn you, get your Bible out, because you're going to need it. We're not going to put anything else on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. The person beside you probably does, and just share with them. What's my ministry? We're not going through a bunch of scriptures, but some. What's my ministry? Point one, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, we know that's out of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 10, and it's about a kingdom. So Jesus is asking us to pray that God's kingdom comes and that God's will is done. And that reminds us right from jump, there's two kingdoms. There's no three kingdoms, four kingdoms. You're in or you're out. It's darkness or light. It's the devil or God. There's no middle ground. There's nothing outside of this. And they are kingdoms. And those kingdoms have two rulers. Jesus and Satan. And based on which kingdom and which ruler you're in and you follow, there are two destinies for every human that has ever and will ever live. One will end up in hell, eternal punishment, conscious torment, and the other will live in heaven in the presence of God in eternal blessedness consciously so there's two but then guess what there's only one lord and he has only one plan and that's what we want to look at today so open up to matthew 28 we're going to ask what's my ministry matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 first gospel in the new testament you're looking it up on your device, just hit Mark 1, and you can scroll up one, one verse. Wow, people are still using paper. Can you believe it? Okay. Guys, just killed 100 trees. Okay. Matthew 28. You know what this is. It's called the Great Commission. I'm reading out of the ESV, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, the Gospel of Matthew ends at the same place Matthew started. 
In the very first chapter of Matthew, we were reminded that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. At the very beginning and at the very end, we're also informed that Emmanuel is still with us and will be with us forever. We're informed that as a result of the resurrection, Emmanuel is king. And he is ruling and reigning over the entire universe. Everything, as we find out in Ephesians, everything that is seen and unseen. Everything and everyone. But this rule and reign on earth in this age towards humanity involves the reversal of the curse of the Garden of Eden. And that will end eventually when he comes again and restores a new heaven and a new earth. He reverses the effects of rebellion and sin. But that happens now primarily. And this is what's important, because this is the part we play. Do you know we're, we're part? Oh, read, the, read Ephesians. We're part of this, this grand mission to the whole cosmos. You and I, what's our ministry? Hello? This grand thing is reversed slowly but surely. His authority is realized in the hearts of individual men and women. He conquers and he rules and he reigns one heart at a time. That's how we fulfill your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the main way we fulfill that. And that's the great commission. That's the great commandment. That's your ministry. So he commissions his disciples and commands them to do what? What's the, what's the, if we boil all of that down, there's two words that stand out, make disciples. Now, you make disciples, and how do you make disciples? Well, you go, you baptize, and you teach. But those three participles, for lack of a better word, inform the making of disciples. What's my ministry? Make disciples. What's God's plan? Make disciples. What's one of the primary ways God will fulfill this prayer? Your kingdom come one heart at a time? Make disciples disciples how do we affect nations make disciples how do we affect terrorist groups and injustice in our country make disciples oh the ballot box is great i'm not knocking that civil involvement social engagement yes what's our primary primary what do we give our hearts and our lives and our talent and our treasure and our calendar make disciples got the hint okay good Disciples are to call unbelievers to repent and believe the gospel. Welcome to go. That begins in them a lifelong process of following after Jesus, being transformed from the inside out as they conform to his image and adopt his mindset. Think of in in Corinthians where Paul says, you have the mind of Christ, that's a past event. You have the mindset, the outlook of Christ. Disciples are then to call on these newly minted disciples, fresh out of the oven, to publicly identify with Jesus and his people by being baptized in water. So go, 
baptize. And then these disciples will engage in teaching and training them. And by the way, the them is not just the newly minted. From there on out, we switch directions. We, we call, we baptize, we train. But here's where it changes. One call, one baptism. Now our focus broadens. One another, they become us, and we train one another. That's making disciples. Phase one, phase two, identification. Phase three, lifetime learning. That's your ministry. Discipling is the involvement of one disciple helping another follow Christ. If you've been a Christian for 15 minutes, you can do that. Think about it. Discipling is the involvement of one disciple helping another disciple to follow Jesus. You can do that. That's my ministry. And it's not because I'm a full-time pastor. It's not because I've been a Christian since 1975. No, it's my full-time ministry. It's your full-time ministry. Because I'm a disciple that's been commissioned. And I'm a disciple that's been commanded to make disciples. That's the ministry of every single Christian. So what's my ministry? Make disciples. Okay, what's my ministry? Let's look at it from another angle. Not to be served, but to serve. Now, that's out of Mark 10.45. Now, we've got to handle that one very carefully because it is a paradigm, and Jesus uses it on purpose. But there's a part of this that he does, and there's a part of us that we can't imitate. What, what would Jesus do? Well, what Jesus could do was come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a once and for all ransom for all that would believe in him. We, we stop at that point. I don't go to the cross. I, it's above my pay grade. I'm not God. Once and for all, that has occurred. However, the paradigm of selfless sacrifice and serving. Gentlemen, you find that in Ephesians 5. That's the verse Jesus is tugging on when he tells you how to treat your wife. That's the verse Jesus is tugging on when he says love your neighbor because he assumes you know how to love yourself, gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, he assumes we all know how to love ourselves, so he uses that to say, hey, by the way, you you got that skill set. You know how to love. You're good at loving you, pal. Why don't you love her like you love you? Ooh, there's way too many ladies there. Okay. But female Christians as well. Um, Guys, I'm sorry. God assumes we know how to love ourselves. But see, even that, great assumption, but the paradigm pushes past me because I love myself selfishly. I push to Mark 10.45. I love like Jesus loves me. I serve like Jesus serves me because he's already saved me. See, he's done the ransom for many. Now, because I'm a new tree producing new fruit, much fruit that will glorify his Father in heaven, that means I've got to serve. See, we're to die to ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And in that, he is our example. God sent his son on a mission. His son, welcome to the great commission, sends us on a similar, yeah, different, I get that, we're not going to the cross, 
on a similar mission. And we, oh my, um, we are required. It's a command. However imperfectly, we are required to respond to this mission, one that we've been called to. We are to follow the one who called us. And he called us to sacrificially serve him by serving others. Once you hear that clearly, we'll tease that out next week. Sacrificially serve him. That's the minister to God I alluded to earlier. By serving others. See, that's our mission. That's our ministry. Look at Ephesians 4. Flip there in your Bible. Just keep going to the right. Romans, Gospels, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. While you're looking, let me give you a quick lesson on Ephesians. Ephesians is divided roughly into two parts. Chapter, the first three chapters explain all that God has done for us as he's called us from darkness and death of our sinful into the light and the life of his son. There's chapters one through three. Here's all God has done for you. Here's how you used to walk. Here's what you deserved. Here's what you got. Isn't this awesome? Move to chapter four. And that tells us now what does it look like doing all that? Because he's done all of this. Not just in debt and gratitude. Oh yeah, debt's great. I want to feel gratitude to God for doing all this in Christ. But it's because he's done this, I now can do this. Because he's done all that, I want to do this. Because he's done all that, I see the necessity of doing this. Because it's his plan. And what else is there to give my stinking life to? Everything else is going to burn up. So chapters 4 through 6 explain how we're now to live this new life of pleasing God. Look at verse 1. Keep your finger there. You're going to scroll down or turn the page in a minute. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, listen to Paul speaking, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This verse is the opening sentence of the second part of that epistle where Paul begins to urge the Ephesians and us to walk in this new life. He showed them how they used to live, how they used to walk. Now they're to walk, to live in a manner worthy of what God has done for them in Christ. Walk like you're saved, because you are. He, Paul again and again says, basically, here's what you are, now become that. If we were in the deep south, I'd say, you be this, now become it. Because you are all these things in Christ. Now you're growing into it, into those clothes I was talking about. Ephesians goes on to say that Jesus has given different leaders to do different functions throughout the history of the church. Some of them operate right up to the present day, others don't. But these individuals have and had a job to do. Let's see what that is. Ephesians 4.10. Ephesians 4.10. He who descended onto the earth is the one who also ascended to heaven, far above, even there to the highest of heavens, all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, what did he give them to do? To equip the saints. Here's that my ministry for the work of ministry, for building 
up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Huh? Let's unpack that a little bit. The church should have the same truth. We're united in the knowledge from God, about God. So what does it look like when, when, when we do our jobs? What do all of us? This ministry that involves every disciple. Here's the results. All disciples, the church, local, will have the same truth. We have the same knowledge. We know about God because it's from God and we're teaching his word. We have been taught to use the Great Commission, all that Christ has commanded. If that's happening in your lives, you can obey the Great Commission. You can make disciples. What's the other tangible aspect of this convoluted verse to some? The church should be growing to maturity. We're being transformed from the inside out. And we're now, because of his word and his spirit, and because we're making disciples, and because we're being taught, it's conforming our thinking and our motives and our behavior to be like Christ, the one whom we're following. And guess what? We disciple others to follow him. It's funny, in in, uh, one of the forts in the United States, the army has a big statue, I think it's bronze, and it's, it's like their, what used to be their motto back then. It just says, it's a guy, it's a full soldier, he's leading. He's out in front, and he says, follow me. And, and, and that's Christ, but that's you too. Now, it's funny, we're not necessarily, Paul said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ, got that. But what we really want to say, because we're not making disciples after ourselves. Follow me, are you kidding? Ask Gory, she lives with me, don't do that. Follow me as I imitate Christ. But that's the point. We don't make disciples after ourselves, so you don't have to be strack and perfect. You have to be the shell answer man. Here's what we do. Come on, let's follow them together. You're teaching me, I'm teaching you. We're in this together. Here we go. That's what it looks like. We'll look at that more next week. We're following him. We're discipling others to do the same. His kingdom, his rule and reign is active in our hearts, one heart at a time. And that's one of the main reasons we gather on Sunday and in group. To be taught in order to teach others. To be led in order to lead others. We're not ever supposed to be spectators. We learn to give. We're led to lead. We're taught to teach. You're never allowed to be an audience. We're being trained so we can train others to follow the Lord in lockstep with us. We're to build up one another. Much more on that next week. So what's your ministry? Oh, ministry in the New Testament, my humble but accurate opinion, is primarily defined not primarily by office, not just for pastors. It's not by passion, because you get to do a lot of things you don't want to do. It's not by desire. I don't always desire God. No, it's defined by effect. And what's the effect? Building up others. Till the whole church is built up. What does that look like? Loving by sacrificially serving. What's the effect? Helping people know God's will and God's work. That's called using his word to teach one another. Ministry to God is serving God. Novel idea. 
God's way. We have a clearly defined mission and ministry. One that is measured by effect. Using Ephesians 4, it's called truth and maturity. What's my ministry? I don't know, but I know what it's supposed to look like. Whoever you touch is supposed to grow in truth and in maturity. That's what ministry looks like. Could that be? I don't know. But one thing I know, if it ain't doing that, we've got some questions to ask. One that is measured by motive. It's not defined. It's measured by effect. It's measured by your motive. Sacrificial serving in love. Oh, next week, 1 Corinthians 13. You're nothing. You're nothing. You, Paul says, your ministry, all your stuff. I mean, it's so hard to read. Squat, as we'd say in the South. Nada. Nothing. Because it's measured by love. Ouch. And we have a clearly defined mission in ministry because it mimics what Jesus did. See, we're his disciples. We're not disciples in the image of any human, Christian or unbeliever. It's about Jesus. He was sent by his Father. He now sends us to sacrificially serve, to say no to ourselves and yes to him, to die to ourselves and take up our cross that we die on to our own motives and desires and to follow him. That's our ministry. Last but not least, what's my ministry? Number three, do all, all to the glory of God. Do you see why you need Holy Spirit-empowered ministry? Have you figured out you can't do this on your own? Don't be more aware of what you can't do right now. Duh. It's about the Lord and the Spirit. That's why he tells us he's with you. Throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul speaks to his friends about two things out the whole book, glory and shame. And he addresses their illegitimate desires for glory as they boast in their wisdom their knowledge, their gifts. And then he contrasts that and he tells them with shame they should be, how they, how they should be ashamed of how they're feeling, about how they dishonor God and one another in their views about sexual sin, in their views about lawsuits, in their views about forcing folks to violate their conscience and in their prideful practices during public worship. He says, shame on you. Why does, he, why does he call his friends out? He's hard in this one. Why does he call his friends out? The church, he was the founding pastor. I've been there several years. Now it's about a year and a half, three years, a year and a half later, he's writing back to them because they got all these questions. Why is he calling them out? Because he loves them and he has faith for them. He loves them dearly. Well, he knew they weren't living in a manner that was pleasing to God. And he wanted to adjust their thinking, hoping, knowing, in some cases, they would change. What did change look like? Stop living for their own glory. Stop living for their own honor, their own reputation, and instead live for the glory and honor and reputation of God before a watching world. And the majority of those verses from about 11 forward to 14, it's all in the context of public worship, either worshiping idols or worshiping in the church. He wanted them to live for the glory of God. Oh, oh yeah, he did, truly, and God wants us to experience the good of feeling the pleasure of, of pleasing God. And, and God wants us to be racking up rewards in heaven. 
Yes, those are all true. And, and we are to enjoy, as we do this right, the love and benefits of a healthy church. Those are good things, but they're not the thing. Paul wanted them to self-consciously live in a manner that rightly reflected God to a lost and dying world. And, and actually he spends more time on and than what I just said. To self-consciously live in a manner that rightly reflected God to weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. He wanted them to bring honor to God's name. And that's our ministry too. To bring glory and honor to God. Matthew 6, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Another way to say that, let your name be kept holy. Let your name be treated with reverence. Let your name be treated with the highest honor. See, we're to live lives that bring glory to God. What does that look like? Oh, it means result in public praise, a good reputation, honor, and glory. Remember Matthew 5, 16? You've known, if you've been in the church for a long time, you've known it since you were a kid. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and... Give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I do something right, my kids don't go, way to go, Dad. They go, wow, God's really working in Dad. (laughs) Put it another way. What's my ministry? You ready? Under the last point, same thing. What's my ministry? To put God on display. To show what the mind, the mindset of Christ looks like, to imitate Christ, to conform to Christ, to reflect him rightly, and to teach others to do just the same thing. It's your job, make disciples. So let me end with asking just a couple of questions. Now they're long questions, but they're questions. So in light of these things, on a Sunday morning, let's just start with Sunday morning. Eh, community group too. How can we be a mere spectator when we have such opportunities to minister every Sunday and every group? We have opportunities to call, to proclaim the gospel, to call folks to publicly identify with Christ and his church through baptism, and then engage in the lifelong process of discipleship. How can we be a mere spectator when that's the command of God to us? How can we be a mere spectator? Oh, is it worth it? Hello? How can we be a mere spectator when we have such opportunities to minister every Sunday in every community group? As we say, point two, no to ourselves. We take up his cross. We follow after him. We imitate him as we don't seek to be served, but we serve and we give our lives away, loving God by loving others, laying down our lives and looking to build others up. Can you imagine if that was going on every Sunday by everybody all the time? Yow! Now, by the way, I'm not saying it's not happening. Somebody's shaking their head over there. I watched her do it last week, Cassie. I watched her do it week after week. She's so, so quiet, nobody knows. I just watch her. She's here, she's serving, she's doing, she's doing. And then somebody's praying or something's going on. I'm, I, I'm like one of the last people to leave this class Sunday, and I see Cassie just by herself. Here's Mela, she's there, she's needing prayer. And I don't even know what they're praying about, but everybody's yakking and being stupid like I normally am. And what's Cassie doing? She's just quiet. That's what we're talking about. How can we be a mere spectator when we have such opportunities to minister every Sunday and every community group? 
as we can self-consciously live to reflect God's love and God's care and God's character. We can use the gifts and graces he gives us to encourage and to edify others, to lead people to live lives of obedience that showcase, oh, talk about hallowed be your name. Rob, I'm switch. Hallowed be your name. We want to lead people to live lives of obedience that showcase God's holiness. Lives of love and sacrifice that reflect His mercy and grace. Letting our good works be seen and having others glorify God because of His work in and through us. We can do that ministry every single time we gather, no matter what season, how many kids, how many parents we have to care for, what's going on with our schedules, what's going on with our lives. If I have money, if I don't. If I have education, if I don't. If I understand the language totally or I don't. We can do this. And we'll talk about examples of that next week. But here's what we got to do. <laughs> oh, golly. First of all, we've got to show up here. Kind of tough to do it. Now, again, I'm not smacking. I don't, I, no, I'm going to close my eyes when I say these things so no one thinks I'm talking to them. Here's the real one this, this Anglo's got to now talk about with his eyes closed. And we've got to live a countercultural lifestyle in South Florida and show up early and stay late. We'll talk about why it's important to show up on the first downbeat next week. Why do we do that? It's not because we want to be weird and have to have our calendars out and just be so... No! It gives us more time when the gathered church is together. And by the way, it's to honor God. It's about honoring God. It, you, you don't get a face from somebody if you're doing on Facebook or just joking around or something during the sermon or during... It's, it's, no, that, that, it's not because, how dare you? No, that's ridiculous, whatever. But we don't want to let our more casual atmosphere turn into a casual with God atmosphere. Now, again, we don't prop it up with fake rules and you have to wear a certain way and you have to stand a certain way. That's ridiculous. Sermon on the Mount had a lot of crying babies, okay? That's not what we're talking about. But in the name of being not religious we can be irreligious. We want to minister to God in prayer and in praise and in song, and we want to love God by actively seeking to minister to others and being ministered to by others. How does that work? Stay tuned next week. 